what if we don't have to die because an arbitrary God decided, oh, eating your sister's cake is bad, disobeying your parents is bad, therefore you must die. What if instead our crookedness has created an entire system of destruction that culminates in this world where emotional and relational and physical death is the reality? And what if God warned us about it from the very beginning? But in spite of that warning, we still decided to do it our way. And yet God, consistent, never changing, he kept doing things his way. And his way was to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. So he showed up. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. Why did, why did Jesus have to die? I've heard that a lot. You know, Jesus had to die. Because he had to die because of our sins, right? Our sins deserve death. That's true. It's all over scripture. But when we think about it a bit from our perspective as humans, with all of the history that we have growing up in Christianity, there's some logical questions that start to pop up. Imagine there's a five-year-old boy, and his parents told him, hey, there's a piece of cake. It's reserved for your sister. And they're gone, and uh, he's five. He's a sweet kid, but man, that cake looks good. And so he eats like half of it. He leaves the other half for his sister. Like, at least he's trying, right? But he eats half of it. Let's say, unfortunately, no connection to this incident at all. He dies in a tragic accident the next day. All we have of his life is five years lived. And the worst thing he ever did was disobey his parents and eat his sister's cake. Is that boy deserving of death? You'd have to be pretty callous to say so. There's a lot of Christians who would say so. Sin, no matter what it is, is an abomination to God. It's such an affront to a holy God that, yes, we all deserve death, even that five-year-old boy. I don't know why God did it this way, but, you know, sin is bad, sin is wrong. It deserves death. I think it's because we have often talked about sin as one act of sin is enough. Like one act of sin, that's it. That's worthy of death. I mean, if you're a parent to this boy, he doesn't deserve death. Maybe a timeout, but not death. Like, like, like we wouldn't say that out of our love and out of the logic that God has given us. 
But because we talk about sin as these individual, distinct actions, that just one in and of, it, in and of itself would be enough, we end up in this space. But I think to talk about sin as individual, disconnected, separate actions actually diminishes what sin is. Sin is talked about in kind of three major ways in Scripture. The first is as missing the mark. It's as if you're shooting at a target, and that target is love, and it is selflessness, and it is to be like God. But if you miss it, the problem is is that you're surrounded by people. And to miss it is to harm someone even potentially and actually most likely to harm yourself. So that's one way, is missing the target. Another way sin is talked about is as trespasses, as overstepping a boundary. You know, someone says, you can't talk to me like that, you can't do that, that's not okay, and you step over the boundary anyways. We set up laws in our country, our nation, say this is what's good, and we overstep, and that's trespassing, to step over a boundary pretty much willfully. And then there's kind of a third major way And it's the English word generally translated, it's usually iniquity. And iniquity, what it really speaks about is a state of the heart, that we're crooked. There's a crookedness to us. If you go back to that analogy of a target, the thing is if you're shooting a gun and it's a millimeter off to the right, well, if you put the target a foot in front of you, you wouldn't notice hardly anything. It would seem like, yeah, okay, like you just hit hit the bullseye. But the farther out the bullet goes, the farther away the target is, the farther out the bullet goes, the farther away it gets from that target. And iniquity is saying that we are crooked, we are bent, we are, we are we're bent away from the way of God. And the problem is the more life that we live without any correction, the farther and farther and farther away we end up. The less we look like God, the more we look sometimes like monsters. Those are kind of three ways that it's talked about. You take those three words, you take the whole story of scripture and you start to see, I don't know if sin is individual separate actions. I I don't know if it's this arbitrary God that just decided, you know what? Disobeying your parents, even as a five-year-old, worthy of death. Sorry, just the way it is. No, instead we start to see something different and it starts in Eden where Adam and Eve, they begin to distrust God. And when they begin to distrust God, because they're not sure if he has the best intentions for them, they seem to be hiding something. He seems to be hiding something from them. So they begin to distrust him. And when they do, they start to only trust in themselves. And the problem is when you trust in yourself, you do away with this arbitrator of what is good and what is evil. You know, maybe the one who created the whole thing, who knows what leads to flourishing and what leads to harm. And you do away with him. And instead you become the arbitrator of what is good and what is evil. And then the person next to you is their own arbitrator of what is good and evil. The problem with sin is that its root is in self-rule, where I say, I get to decide what is good for me and what is bad for me, and you then decide what is good for you and bad for you. And that sounds noble, especially in a postmodern society. I guess we're even past postmodern, but in a postmodern society where, where even like ethics starts to become subjective, It sounds noble, but the problem is, is that because we are limited, because we can't see 10 seconds in front of us, so the decisions we make today, we don't know where they lead. We might think we have an idea, but we might not at all. 
And because we don't have the strength to do even some of the things that we think are good, and because we are crooked, we end up in this place where it's just harm and destruction. It ends up there every time. And the problem is, is in that place where it ends up in harm and destruction is that it first affects me. First and foremost, when I decide that something that is bad for me is actually good for me, it harms me, right? If I decide, well, it's better to be distracted and to run away from all of my childhood trauma, that eventually harms me. But the problem is, is that it doesn't end with me. Because that childhood trauma I run away with, because I'm always afraid of conflict and I just run away from it all the time, well, that eventually, very quickly, begins to affect my spouse and my friends and my coworkers. If I'm a boss, some of you have served under people who are definitely harming themselves and then it's coming out and harming you, the person who has to work under them. And you felt the, 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 the helplessness because of that. You have to kind of imagine yourself almost standing at the center of a circle of people. You are at the center and there's this outline of people around you. And here I am at the center of my circle, harming myself through my own self-rule. But then the problem is there's a circle of people around me, the people I interact with in life. And a good majority of them end up being harmed because of me. But then get this, each person in that circle is the center of their own circle harming and damaging the people around them. A lot of good happens too, but there's a lot of harm and damage, both unintentional and intentional. But then zoom out even farther and you start to see that literally our society, our culture, our nation is built up of a bunch of people who are the centers of their circles, harming the people around them. And then all of a sudden you start to recognize like the people literally in our government are the same center of the circle people, except their circle happens to be a lot bigger. And they're pushed and they're swayed by all of the things that happen because of us, because they have their own agendas and whatever else it is. But then those people in our government are they themselves trying to interact with entire other national governments who are in the same spot as us, center of the circle people harming those around us. And then we start to see that sin is first personally destructive. And I don't have to start explaining how it is because we're all experiencing it and we know it well. But then sin becomes relationally destructive and broken relationships and the fear and the distrust that we develop towards one another because of things done to us in unintentional harm as we just live thinking this is the right way to live and then we harm somebody who has a different personality or, or worldview than us. And then it becomes societally destructive in culture wars as we form tribes and fight against one another's ideologies. As we go along with the, the, whoever is loudest in the world. And then it becomes nationally destructive as we develop systems and laws that seem good at first, maybe, or maybe even started in some pretty harmful and destructive places. And then end up today affecting people because people take advantage of those laws. We see that in, 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 the, in the brokenness of our system where, where people who are in government, they say, well, I'm going to bend the truth to my own, my own benefit. And then we all end up with, well, what is truth? And then we start fighting one another. 
And so it goes from personally to relationally to societally destructive to nationally destructive, culminating in global destruction in the wars that we see today. In the economic injustice or greed that allows famines to happen in a world that is full of food, where inaction enables genocide. We start to see it's not individual actions. It's a whole system of crookedness. It's rooted deep in our souls. And though it may manifest itself as simply as this little boy eating his sister's cake because it looks good, it ultimately culminates in lives lived out over years and decades with a trail of destruction behind, both unintentional and intentional, both in, in individual lives to relationships to small communities like churches and other things, all the way up to the macro scale of nations. What if we don't have to die because an arbitrary God decided, oh, eating your sister's cake is bad, disobeying your parents is bad, therefore you must die? What if instead our crookedness has created an entire system of destruction that culminates in this world where emotional and relational and physical death is the reality? And what if God warned us about it from the very beginning? But in spite of that warning, we still decided to do it our way. And yet God, consistent, never changing, he kept doing things his way. And his way was to be Emmanuel, to be God with us. So he showed up as one of us. He walked in our shoes. He lived within the same system that you and I experience today. But he didn't feed it. He didn't join it. He lived his way. He was faithful to who he was. Why did Jesus have to die? Well, after everything we've gone over, we can start to see if God was going to come here, if he was going to be human, if he was going to live with us, if he was going to live within the world that we have created, but if he was going to remain faithful to who he was, if he was going to be true to form, true to character, if he was going to surrender and say, hey, guess what, guys? You can do whatever you want to me. You can do that. You said your way is better. You can do it. I will be here. If he was going to have that attitude and if he was going to have that character and come to be with us, we were going to kill him. It was what we were going to do. I mean, I guess he could have done something different. He could have wiped us out, said, oh, this is all injustice. This is broken. He could have done that. He also could have robotically wired us and like, like reprogrammed us so that we just listened to whatever he said. Or he could come to us and forgive us and invite us into his kingdom. But again, if he did that, if he came with a new kingdom into the midst of all of our little tiny kingdoms, we might band together to kill him. And I've heard people say, like, you know, I didn't have anything to do with killing Jesus. And it's true. Like, I mean, I wasn't there. Time travel doesn't exist, guys. <laughs> that we know of. I wasn't there. You weren't there. 
But the problem that we start to see and the terrifying thing that we see is that the exact system that we are suffering from today, that we also contribute to, that we are experiencing, that system today was there back then. And that means that in all of the characters of the story that we've just heard about, all of the different people in that story, the terrifying reality is there's room for me in those characters. Take, for instance, the religious people, the priests and the scribes. These were men, they were so sure of their beliefs. They had it down. They had cracked the code. Maybe you don't feel that way about religion. Maybe you feel that way about other things. They had cracked the code. They got it. They knew the way it should go. And they couldn't let go of it to see Jesus for who he was. That might be me. Take Judas. He was a disciple. He was faithful. Uh, he faithfully served as, in essence, the group treasurer for like three years. But then he ended up betraying Jesus. We don't know why. And theories have come up, and I'll just share a couple of them. One might have been that Jesus had called him out to his face in front of a bunch of people when there's a woman that is anointing Jesus' feet with perfume, and it's very expensive, and Judas goes, that should be sold and given to the poor. I mean, that's a pretty like, righteous thing to say. Like, yo, like, this is a waste of money. But Jesus looks at him and says, no, what this woman has done is good. And here he is, embarrassed in front of everybody. It may have been that this, this Jesus guy, he was pretty enamored with at first, but then the longer it goes, he's like, this is not the guy I thought he was. And so he's just like, well, I'm out. I got to get rid of him though, because this doesn't, I like, nah, this is, this is threatening to me. And maybe I could just benefit from it. Maybe there's just benefit to me, financial benefit. Or maybe he really believed in this idea of the Messiah and he wanted to force Jesus's hand. This guy is not moving fast enough. And if I, you know, get some people to try and come arrest him, maybe he pulls out a sword and just starts going to town and then he starts fighting the Romans and we get our independence. Maybe that's what happens. I don't know. I don't know what his agenda was, whether he was ashamed and guilty and he wanted to get rid of the one who was making him feel that way, or he was trying to get God to fit his agenda and his timeline. That kind of sounds like me. There's disciples, other disciples. They, had, they were a little more faithful to Jesus. They called him the Messiah. They had done amazing things. They had cast out demons. They had healed the sick. I mean, these are things that you, if you experience that, like there's no turning back. You can't go backwards in that. They had experienced all of this with Jesus. But when Jesus says, would you pray with me? They were too tired and too distracted. And when Jesus says, and when Jesus is, is arrested and he's not fighting back, they all run. My life isn't even in danger. But whether it's tiredness or distraction or just running away from stuff in fear, yeah, that, that might be me. Pilate. He's a man who represented justice. The Roman legal system was pretty advanced for its time. I mean, in fact, it wasn't perfect, but it was like way ahead of its time. In fact, our system here in America is built on a lot of the principles and ideas of the Roman judicial system. They were proud of it. They were proud of the fact that they were bringing civilization to the barbarian world. 
This is who they were. They had the moral high ground. They were there for justice. And Pilate represented that in this corner of the world. But Pilate had his own stuff. We think that he might have been sort of in trouble with the emperor just because of a few things that had happened. But even if you just take that and put that aside, the, the people that he was governing, the Jewish people, they were like a rebellion bomb waiting to go off at the slightest provocation. And so he's always kind of walking on eggshells a bit. And so we don't know exactly what comes, how it comes to this, but, 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 Judas, or, but Pilate does realize that Jesus is innocent. And to his credit, he tries to you know, get the Jewish leaders to calm down, to, let, to get them to let Jesus go. But in the end, maybe because he is afraid of an uprising that would threaten his position. I mean, maybe the emperor calls him back and he's thrown in prison or executed or at least just banished somewhere. Or maybe he just, maybe he wanted to build some goodwill with the Jewish leaders, you know, get some political points that he could then cash in for some favors later on. Or maybe he just didn't want to get mobbed by a crowd. Whatever it was, he washes his hands and says, it's not my issue. Do whatever you want. It's not my problem. What's crazy is in that moment, the very one who could have stopped the whole thing, the one who his position, his standing as a citizen of Rome, as a governor of Rome said, we stand for justice. In that moment, he acts like it's not his fault for not stopping an injustice. Someone who, whose principles of justice fall to the wayside when they're threatened. Yeah, that could be me. There's Barabbas and the people who wanted to free him. He represented a passionate group of Jews. They felt that to self-actualize as a nation, to do what they wanted to do, they had to fight Rome. Barabbas was most likely a key figure in this rebellion. We're going to fight the oppressors. Those who have done all this harm to us, we're going to give it back to them and we're going to give it worse. He probably killed Romans. That's probably why he was in prison. And his idea of, of freedom and, and a Messiah was that fight, that violent fight. Unfortunately, 30 years later, his way of thinking and many of the people, I mean, he was, it was not just him. He was just merely a figurehead for a much larger group of, of thought, a, a body of thought. That body of thought would result in AD 66 in a massive rebellion against the Romans. And there was some success until four years later, it was brutally crushed. The entire city of Jerusalem was destroyed and the Jews were scattered all over the earth. You, die, you live by the sword, you die by it. Yet he was released in the place of Jesus. And whether it was him or whether it was the people that supported him, what we're really talking about is this mentality people had adopted. It's better this way. Violence, I get. Fighting, I get. Let's go fight the oppressor. He was a man whose ideas of justice unknowingly perpetuated the violence and destruction in the world. That might be me. There was the soldiers. These were men who, for whatever reason, they joined the army. Maybe they were people who were good people, and then they saw, they saw stuff that was tragic and traumatic, and they turned into brutal people. Maybe they were just those guys who have a power trip. 
You know, they just want to leg up on everybody. Or maybe they were just some guys, maybe there's some guys in all of that that they weren't any of those things. But because the veterans, the grizzled guys who had been fighting in wars, because they were like that, the other guys just follow along. They beat Jesus. They crowned him with a crown of thorns and put a purple robe on him, proclaiming him ironically to be the very thing that he was. Their king. But because of their quest to prop themselves up as strong by making other people feel weak, because maybe some of them just went along with the crowd, they missed it. Harming each other because of my trauma, needing to be powerful, going along with the crowd, that might be me. Peter, a man who totally missed the way of Jesus over and over again, he said he'd die with Jesus. He was that loyal. But he also thought that the way of the Messiah was a violent overthrow of Rome. So when the time came, he at least pulled out his sword and cuts the ear off of a servant. And then Jesus says, that's not my way. And so Peter, along with the rest, run away. But he does follow Jesus. He follows Jesus and he's standing by a fire. But what's so interesting is that in this later moment, when there is no rush of adrenaline, when there's no glory of fighting and defending a servant girl asks him if he knows Jesus and he denies it. Thinking that I'm on God's side when what I'm actually doing is acting out of my own unconscious agenda. Loving the adrenaline of standing up in public and saying, I stand for what is right and then abandoning it all when no one's looking. Yeah, that might be me. There's the crowd all these people who they might have even hailed Jesus as king when he walked in or when he, when he rode in on a donkey. He's going to benefit us. Everyone's seeing this. Like, this is our Messiah. That's awesome. And then a few days later, they're yelling, crucify him because the teacher next to them, who they respect, is doing it. Because their husband or their wife is doing it. Because everybody's doing it. It's got, I mean, it's got, got to be right. Yeah, that's what we should be doing caught up in hysteria of a crowd saying things that I feel are right in the moment just because everyone else is. Yeah, that could be me. The passers-by who mock Jesus, they must have heard of him and now they see him there and they make fun of him. Loving to see someone fall and feeling self-righteous because he didn't fall with them. Yeah, that could be me. The bystanders, people who said nothing, who didn't cry out because it was unjust, they kept silent because, well, uh, I don't know if it's unjust. I mean, if the authorities are doing it, it must, it must be right. Maybe they were silent because they were afraid. Maybe they were silent because someone might hurt them or their reputation might suffer. Maybe, maybe they might stand out. Yeah, silent injustice because of fear, that, that could be me. But in the midst of it all, there's Jesus. I, I, I couldn't be him. He's too strong. I mean, he could have. He really could have called the armies of heaven to come about and bring, in, bring about justice in this moment. He could have said, kill those who have killed me. Kill all, like, like get rid of this, these people who would literally, first of all, actively do this, but then also tacitly support it by either their silence or by doing nothing. Get rid of this people. This is, this is so unjust. 
Look what they've done to me, but look what they've done to each other. He could have done that. He could have been like the zealots who said violence is the way. He could have been a bystander. He could have, he could not, have not even come. He could have just been like, yeah, I see it all happening. Don't want to deal with it. He could have stood for justice. He could have come here and said, this way is not right. And then the minute that it was about to affect him, he'd be like, okay, I'm out. He could have been like us. He really could have been like us. But he wasn't. And he isn't. He is himself. He is faithful to the end. And even though the weight of human sin and destruction, this, this destruction, this system of sin and destruction that we have created, it was fully resting, fully weighing on his shoulders, literally nailed into his hands and his feet. Yet in the middle of all of that, he cries out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's too much grace in the face of too much injustice. We have to have moments like this where we acknowledge the truth. Why did Jesus have to die? Because if he came here, our system of sin and destruction was going to kill him. I'm part of that system. And while I want to break out of it, in the short term, it's so self-beneficial to me that I don't want to leave it. So I just continue to contribute. But we must acknowledge that truth. And yet in the cross, Jesus shows us the end product of our system. It's, it's death. It's what happened to him. He's like, you got your way. You got self-rule. Here, here is where it ends. This should be you. You are both the perpetrator and the victim of this. And as the gravestone closes over the tomb on Friday evening, it seems like that system of sin and destruction has won. We have won. We did it. We got our way. We won. What a hollow victory. Onward to more destruction. But what we don't know at this point in the story is that this isn't the end. In a couple of days, that gravestone, that symbol of the hollow victory of a self-ruling kingdom of man will begin to shake. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going, and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. 
it makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.